You can tell I'm not the normal preacher because I don't know how to turn the mic pack on. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Um, if you're not, if this is your first week or you're visiting and you've never met me before, my name's Ryan. I'm the youth minister. Um, Brent, uh, our pastor, is out of town uh, in North Carolina visiting some family, so he's graciously allowed me uh, to, to preach God's word this morning. Um, we are start, We are continuing in our series, Everyday Theology, how doctrines uh, lead us to new ways of living, how we can close the gap between what we know and what we do. So this morning we'll be talking about the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the church. We'll be bouncing around uh, in scripture, but if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll camp out in 1 Peter 2 for a good while right in the middle. So you got time to find First Peter. So we all have places in our life that we're very fond of, that we have good memories of, we have positive associations with. Maybe it was like where you grew up. Maybe you grew up on a farm or a ranch or something or a, a, a cool house. My mom grew up, uh, her grandparents had a really cool house. So she tells us like great stories about how, how awesome this house is. Maybe it's where you had your first date. Uh, with your spouse. Maybe it's a place that you worked for a really, really long time and now you've retired, but you have really great memories of that place. And for me, uh, that place is a coffee shop in Canyon, Texas called Palace Coffee. And sometimes y'all may have seen me wearing a shirt with a phoenix on it uh, or drinking out of a mug with a phoenix on it. That's Palace Coffee. And I can remember what the shop smells like. Right? And I can remember the kind of music that they played. And I can remember all these different memories. I can I have all these different memories of one time I was about the only person in there. And the baristas decided to play the Grease soundtrack for some reason. And so we all started to sing along, me and the three people that were working, the Grease soundtrack. And so we just have these fond memories. It's a place that I hold near and dear to my heart. Well, the great Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once said that the church should be the dearest place on earth. The church is the dearest place on earth. So whatever place you are thinking of that you have fond memories of, the church, we should have that same feeling of fondness, of remembrance, of connection, right, to the church. But if, before we can have a connection to something, before we can have fondness for something, we have to know what it is. We have to go there. We have to be there. We have to understand. And there are plenty of misunderstandings out there about uh, what the church is, what it's for, what its nature is, what its purpose is. So this morning, we're going to dive into what scripture teaches us about the doctrine of the church. And my goal, here's my goal for this morning, is that as we know more things, as our knowledge grows, that our hearts would expand and we would start to cultivate a fondness a connection, a love of the beauty of the people of, of God, of the church, and that it would become dear to us. And so the way that we're going to do that is we're just going to look at two, we're going to answer two questions, two really easy questions that look very similar but have very different answers. Two simple questions. First one, what is the church? What is the church? And second, what is a church? So first question, what is the church? And then second question, what is a church? So through answering those, my hope is that we close that gap and our lives, what we do with our hands, can match our knowledge and our love of what the beauty of the church is. Before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that you sent your son 
uh, to live a perfect life, to die on our behalf, God, so that we, by acknowledging him, could be united to his body. We could become one with him, and not just one with him, but one with each other. God, that you have created a people that you are gathering to yourself, and that through that community, through those people, God, that our lives can change and begin to imitate God and imitate your son better and better and better. So God, use your word this morning, encourage us, inspire us, and let us grow in our love and knowledge of your people. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. So first question, what is the church? What is the church? So I want to make a very clear distinction here, right? So in your worship guides, it should say, what is the church, capital C, capital C, and then the next question should be a lowercase c, and if it's not like that, I messed up the worship guides. Let's just go ahead and like fix it if it's not like that. Because there are two distinct ways that the Bible talks about the church. There is a universal church, or what we can sometimes refer to as a capital C church, and then there is a local body of believers, us, right here, right? Fellowship Baptist Church is a local church, lowercase c. But we're going to start out with the capital C, the universal church. So here's a brief definition of the universal church or the, the capital C church. Here it is going to be up on the screen. The community of all believers for whom Christ died for all time. The community of all believers for whom Christ died for all time. That means everybody who is truly regenerate, who has become united with Christ, if that is you, you are part of the church, capital C. The same would be true of people in eternity past. The same would be, is going to be true of people in eternity future, right? Our church is one expression of the universal church, but we, we're not just, we're not the only church, right? There's other churches in the world. Uh, there's there's going to be churches that aren't even planted yet, that don't even exist yet, that will be part, will, will be made up of people who are part of the universal church. So it is everyone who has ever believed, who currently believes, or will believe in Christ. That is the universal church. And there's three things I want to point to about the capital C universal church this morning. First, the church is universal and local. The church is universal and local. So the church is global, right? So we are currently part of a church, the global church. Churches in, in Africa, churches in uh, South America, right? Underground secret churches in, in China. We are all part of one church, right? A universal church. Jesus, uh, when talking to Peter, uh, he tells him that, on this rock, I will build my church, right? He wasn't saying, Peter, on this rock, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a church. No, he's saying, I'm going to build my church off of your work that starts as an apostle. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus did not just make a sacrifice on the cross for churches. He made it for people, a group of people, right? And so Paul is telling us what is the name of that group of people for whom Christ died. It is the church. He gave himself up for all believers of all time. And we jump to Acts, uh, where they're planting churches all over the world, right? And, and, uh, and it's referred to as the church throughout all Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. And they, he's talking about they had peace together. There was not, get this, there was not one local body 
for all the people in Judea and all the people of Samaria and all the people of Galilee. There were different churches, but collectively, because they were all believers, they were one church. It is the church. So the church is, is global. It's universal, right? It transcends time and space. But we also see the word church used in a very different sense. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, the church in Rome, the church in Philippi, right? These are local churches. That'd be like saying Fellowship Baptist Church in Mainville, Ohio, because you have to make that distinction, because there's others out there. Very close. So though we are part of a global, universal network of believers, we are called to be intimately connected with a gathered group of Christians in a local church. Because the result of knowing that there is a universal church, like the function of knowing that there's a, a network of believers out there, is to align yourself with people in a local church. Because we know that there is such thing as the church, capital C, we can align ourselves and be uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally connected to a local body of believers. So the church is universal and it is local, right? So Next, the church is invisible and visible. The church is invisible and visible because the church is this universal thing. It's all believers of all time, right? We can never actually see with our eyes the fullness of the church on this side of eternity, right? You could be sitting with someone uh, like next to you at lunch today that's you don't know them personally, and they may be part of the church, and you would never know. And they may know Christ now, they may know Christ in the future, but they are or will be part of the church. But even though we don't know, uh, 2 Timothy teaches us that the Lord knows who are his. This is the invisible nature of the church. We can never just look around and know and see everyone who is connected to the church while here on earth. But... However, because the church, the, even though the church is invisible, there is a visibility to the church because I can see you, right? I can look around and see the people that are serving and that are loving and that are connected to our local church, and we call that fruit. Jesus tells us that we, can know, we will know them by their fruit because the fruit of our lives when following Jesus is apparent. It's, it's, it's tangible, right? We can see and we can experience someone having patience with us, or loving us, or having joy, or peace, or kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all those things, self-control. Because we can experience those things with one another tangibly, we can see the church. It is visible and invisible. That's why when we see people serving in kids, or when we cook meals for all these people, or we share our homes with one another, we share our struggles, and we pray for one another, that is a visible expression of the church. So it is both invisible and visible, because we can't fully see it, but we can experience its realities every day. Lastly, the church is missional and triumphant. Church is missional and triumphant. Jesus has given us a task. He has given us a purpose, right? He has given us a mission. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them all that the Lord has commanded. Because we have a mission, there's not one single person in the church that is not, this is not their assignment. Like there's no Ethan Hunts 
in the church who get like this secret mission. It's like it's going to self-destruct in 15 seconds or whatever. That's not a thing. Right? We all have the same mission. It's a public mission. Even Think about this. Even in the Old Testament, the purpose of the law of God was to reveal his glory and holiness to the nations outside of Israel so that they might turn and worship Yahweh as the true God. Even the Israelites had an had a, a evangelistic bend towards their law. So we are called to a mission, to a purpose, to see everyone, right? Everyone in the circles of where we live and work and play all the way to the ends of the earth turn to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is a crushing burden. It's a crushing responsibility to have the weight of every soul, of every person you know on your back. But we don't just have a mission, but we know that the mission will be accomplished. Jesus promises that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. We see in John's vision and revelation that every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We can know that the mission is accomplished. But we have to live in this tension that we are living according to God's commandments. We are living according to our mission, but trust that that mission is going to be accomplished. We know that everyone who turns to Christ will turn to Christ. The enemy will not get one who has put their faith in Jesus. And the church is God's plan A to advance his kingdom, and it's going to work. It will be successful. So that's the church, capital C, universal and local, invisible and visible, missional and triumphant. So what does that inform us? How does that change how we do church in our local body? So we'll move on to the next question. What is a church? What is a church? So here's a brief definition. I've adapted that from this book. It's from, uh, it's from a guy, two guys named Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen. Uh, if you want one of these books, it's a great book. I used it in my sermon prep. Uh, I want you to come up and tell me about a place you're really fond of, and I'll give you a book. And if more than five people do it, I have more. So if you want this book, you want to learn about the doctrine of the church, come talk to me afterwards. I'll give you one of these. But they have a definition for what the church is, and I've adapted it a little bit for our purposes. But here's the definition. What is a church, a local church? Here it is. A group of believers who gather for the purposes of ministering to one another and worshiping God to display his love and holiness to the world. A group of believers who gather for the purposes of ministering to one another and worshiping God to display his love and holiness to the world. Now, that's a lot, and so we're going to break it down uh, into uh, a couple of bits so that we can understand it fully. So first, it is the gathered people, the gathered people of God. And we know that the church must be gathered because the word church actually doesn't appear in the Greek. There's no Greek word for church. That is an English word. There's no Greek word for, ch for church. The, the Bible in the word literally is gathering or assembly is the word ekklesia, the gathering of God's people. Earlier when we talked about the church being local, right, Paul is writing these specific letters to individual churches. Well, they didn't have like social media. They didn't have email. So they weren't emailing Paul's letters around to each other, right? They were uh, gathering together in one place and one person would stand up and read the entirety of the letter. And they would read and they would meditate on the, the, the teaching of the apostles and they would worship God and sing praises to him. They were gathered together. 
in the book of Hebrews, uh, the author instructs the church how to love one another well. He's answering the question, how do we love one another? And here's one of the ways he says, not to neglect meeting together as some of you have. And now over the last couple years, a lot of ink has been spilled about what it means to meet together. Not to neglect meeting together. But we can know this, whatever shape or form that takes place, we can know that because of Hebrews 10, 25, it is God's intention that we all be physically together to worship and honor him. Now, there may be legitimate reasons one week or another that we can't gather, like elephant in the room, the pastor's not here, right? But, that, thank you, that was a joke. But constant, consistent neglect to physically meet with your local church is robbing yourself of God's good design. He meant for us to meet physically together. And you're not just robbing yourself of God's good design, but when you're not here, if you're a member of this church and you're consistently neglecting to come to the body of believers, you're robbing us of the, the joy and, and the, the, the beauty of your presence. The, the, you're robbing the places that you might serve of your gifts. No one benefits when you consistently neglect to come to the gathering of God's people. Only one person benefits, and it is the enemy. No one benefits when you are not here except for the enemy. The gathering of God's people together is the most important thing that a church does. It is their purpose. Other things are good, but they are not the most important. Sunday nights are good. Wednesday nights when we eat and do Bible study is good. Camps are good. VBS is good. Evangelistic mission trips are good. But none of them are the direct command from Scripture like the worshiped gathering of God is for the church. It is the singularly most important thing that we do. So we all have to constantly be evaluating the priority at which we treat the Sunday morning gathering. So, next, ministers to believers. So this is where uh, we're going to jump in to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is uh, writing to uh, some uh, believers who are experiencing intense persecution. And he's telling them, your conversion has called you to something. And in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is what he asks them. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So this is a, uh, when he, beginning, he tells them, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. There's a change of conduct, right? This is a change of behavior towards one another when we enter the church. When we enter the church, when we enter uh, the, the very people of God, not just the place, but when we're united to Christ, we must replace malice with love, deceit with truth, hypocrisy with vulnerability, envy with celebration, and slander with honor. Because we are called to minister to one another as believers with our words and our attitudes. Right? I am not the only one. Darcy is not the only one. Nathan is not the only one. Brent is not the only one who is called to do the ministry of our church. No, all of our members are called to be ministering to one another. The ministry of encouragement and honor. But he also says that we have to long for this pure spiritual milk. What is this idea of this spiritual milk? Well, you see, we've seen it in other places in Scripture, and it's actually used as a rebuke, right? You should be eating spiritual meat, but instead you're drinking spiritual milk. You need to mature. You need to be, you need to be teaching, and you're still learning. 
But Peter is here is simply using it as an image of sustenance. We need sustenance to grow in our salvation, to grow into people who image God better. So what is this milk? What is this spiritual milk? Well, spiritual milk is what we are doing right now. It's the preaching and teaching and learning of the word of God. One of the most important ways, maybe the most important way that we minister to one another is by instructing one another in the ways of the Lord. So we need to be open to correction from our brothers and sisters. But we must always, even though we might be open to correction, we need to be ready to correct, to instruct, to advise, and to counsel in the ways of the Lord when we're needed. It is the responsibility for all of you to raise up disciples who can teach new disciples, who can teach new disciples. We must be ministering constantly to each other through right conduct, through right teaching, and through discipleship. Next, worship of God. Peter continues uh, telling them, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, you, now that you have become believers, you are stones in this living body, and Christ is the cornerstone. Just as that building over there has a cornerstone on it, and it's got the little, little year that it was, it was built, and then they built all these other stones around it, so Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He was the first laid cornerstone, and then we all follow as these living stones. And what does Peter tell us the purpose is for us being up, being built up into this spiritual house? Well, it's to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But Peter doesn't mean that we have to actually give sacrifice for our sin. That price has already been paid. But sacrifices in the sacrificial system were not just for payment. Were not just uh, for, they were not all sin sacrifices. Some were purely made for worship. They were pleasing to God. Peter is telling the church that if you are to be the church, if you are to be stones raised up into a living house and dwell with the Holy Spirit, then you must be giving a sacrifice as worship to God. Through conduct, through teaching, through music, through generosity, there's so many ways to worship God. Paul tells us, in Romans, that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, right? Not because we're obligated to, but why does he tell us to do it? As a spiritual act of worship. So no local church can exist without giving glory and honor to God each time they gather together, which is why I am so thankful, and we should all be so thankful to the work that Nathan and Rachel and all the band do when they choose songs that are about God and his work and his faithfulness and his holiness because we are blessed with music that honors God and glorifies God every week, and that makes us an obedient and faithful church because of their work. We worship rightly. Lastly, we do all this. Why do we do all this? Well, it's to evangelize the world. We're going to jump down a couple verses. Look at verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when that they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
on the day of judgment, your version might say. So we don't just come in and do all this worship and all this encouragement and all this ministering to one another and, and hearing from God's word. We don't do it purely for our own benefit. Now, don't miss this. It is good for us. To, it is for our benefit that we worship God and that we hear from his word, but it's not the only benefit. But we do it so that we can go out and live lives that testify to the goodness and faithfulness of God. Our lives on, on, as Christians, it's in, in person, online, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, should always be a testament to the truth of the gospel. It should always be a testament to the fact that we have been changed and are now indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And we honor Christ as our Lord and our King. Living with honor and integrity is great for you. It's great for your personal holiness. But it's also the number one evangelistic tool in your belt. If the source of information you get is a bad source, you're not going to believe the information. I would never buy preventative hair loss shampoo from a bald man. It's not going to happen. I'm, just, I'm not going to buy it, right? Because I can't trust you. Apologies to anyone that I offended. But if our character does not match the content of our message, then we have no chance to evangelize a skeptical world. If our content does not match what com the commands of God have laid out, we're like the bald man selling hair loss shampoo. No one will ever believe us. So, every day, the, so we know what uh, the church universal is. We know what the local church is. So what does that mean for us? Every day with your church. If you're a member of, of our church, what does it mean every day with fellowship? If you're a member of a different church and you're just visiting, what does it mean for your every day with your church uh, back home or wherever you're a member? Three quick things. First, you have a family. You have a family. When you are a member of a local church body, you have uh, a family to surround you. Now, some people in this room you have really messed up families, and you have really negative associations with the term family. But I want you to know that that is not God's intention for family. God has a good design for family. It was human sinfulness that messed this up, and I hope that hearing these truths about the church can lead you away from those negative associations and towards some positive associations, because the church isn't, you don't just get a new family with new people, but you get a new kind of family. It's a different kind of family. A family that is constantly striving to be totally gracious, quick to kindness, honoring those who are vulnerable and hurting. It's a place of honesty when, and love where you can be fully known by people and still fully loved and embraced by them. So you, church member, have a role to play in that the way you treat people, the way you speak, the questions you ask, your expectations for people, your intentions with them, the way you show them hospitality or, or don't show them hospitality are all building a culture, building associations with the type of family that the church is going to be. Therefore, we should all be ready at the drop of a hat to love, serve, and honor people in our midst at whatever means necessary. Whatever the cost, we should be ready to honor and, and encourage and love the people that are part of our family. We should be praying for people in our family, for their needs, for their desires, and we should never, ever, ever 
be a member of a church and feel lonely. You, the member of Fellowship Baptist Church, you are never alone because you have a new kind of family who is always ready to serve you, who's always ready to listen to you, to grieve with you, to celebrate with you. You are never alone when you have been invited and welcomed into the family of God. So you have a family. Second, you have an embassy, an embassy. The church is like the embassy of, of, of a country in a hostile nation. When we are out among those who are not in Christ, we need to be prepared to, to do battle. We need to be prepared to do spiritual warfare against the, the things in the world that are very, very evil. And the church is where we prepare to do those things, right? Where we learn the scriptures. We learn the character of God, what God is like, so that we can go out and accomplish the mission that we have been called to. It's a place of, of preparation. It's imperative that we show up, we engage our hearts, our minds, and our souls so that we can be ready to undertake the mission that lies out there before us. But the church is, and embassies are not just a place of, of preparation, but it's also a place you could go when you're confused, right, or you need rest. It's like Darcy got me this mug for my birthday, and it keeps my coffee at a certain temperature. Right, I set a temperature on my phone. I say I want it to be 135 degrees. And, and there's a little heater in the bottom, and it will keep my coffee warm for a little bit, but there's this little pad I have to go put it on to charge it. And the church should be like that little pad, right? This mug works out in the world, free-floating by itself, and it stays hot. It stays, uh, it stays uh, I don't want to say on fire. That would be bad. We wouldn't want it to be on fire. But it stays ready, ready to go and but it can't do that all the time. You've got to put it back on the st charging station. We are the same way, right? We can only go out into the world and do spiritual warfare and evangelize our friends and act with graciousness and patience and all the fruits of the Spirit, right? All of those things. We can only do that for so long without being recharged. And this is a place where we can come to rest. I always grieve when I hear stories of people who say, I'm just not ready to come to church yet. I'm just too messed up, or I'm just too uh, ex emotionally exhausted, right? They say, I don't want to go and be beaten down by the church. That is not the way the body of Christ is supposed to be. We should leave this place every week floating on air, our heads and our hearts full of the knowledge and the grace and the peace that only Christ can provide. That you were once dead in your sins, but now you have been resurrected by a grace that is more beautiful than you could ever comprehend. The church is not just our family, but it is our home. We can rest. So my prayer and my hope is that you can start to enter this place as a rest for your soul. The church, you have a, you have a family, you have an embassy, and lastly, because you are in the church, you have a calling. You have a calling. The church comes with responsibilities. We are not just consumers and who come and watch what's going on, right, like it's, a, like it's a movie or like it's a concert. That is not what the church is about. We are called to be meaningfully invested. If we are in Christ, if you are here and you are in Christ, you have a new calling on your life. You have a new family, a new responsibility to that family. 
So you have a new calling to serve your brother or your sister. To maintain, this is huge, you have a calling to maintain unity. Right? Unity is going to be a huge thing going forward. As there are people out in the world who are looking for a place to belong in a world that is full of divisions and fights and anger all the time. We get to be the place where you can come as you are and we can be unified in Christ. We're obligated to, or we're, we need to have unity. We need to strive for holiness. These are all callings on our lives. And we don't do this because we have to, because God said we had to, but we do it because it imitates Christ, who's the head of the church. He told us his, his purpose in life. His purpose, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So too, if we are imitating Christ, our relationship when we come in the door should be one of faithful service and generosity. This is how a church thrives. We don't want to be a church that just survives, but we want to be a church that thrives, right? So we want to come in with the attitude that we are here to serve, not to be served. And there are countless ways that you can faithfully serve our local gathering. If you're part of our family, if you're a member, you have a responsibility to serve, not from obligation, but from the joy that you have received from the grace through faith in Christ. So when you are part of a church, when you are part of the church globally, you have a family that surrounds you, an embassy to train you and to give you rest, and you have a calling and a purpose to aspire to. And you can only be, the only reason we can be part of this kind of new community is because of the work of Jesus on the cross. The only reason that we can become living stones, like Peter is talking about, we would be dead stones without Jesus, but we can become living stones built into this new kind of temple is because Jesus is the cornerstone of that temple. Jesus laid down his life for the church. He gave himself up for his people. And so maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're he hearing this and you think, I have not been honoring to the church the way Jesus has. I need to give something up. I need to change a priority because Jesus gave up his life for his family. And I'm not willing to give up anything. Maybe it's an activity or an attitude that you have that is preventing you from experience in this radical new life that Jesus has allowed you to enter into. But maybe uh, you've never acknowledged the work of Jesus in your life. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know what this new kind of community called the church is like. If you want in on this unity, on this family, on this home, then you must repent of your sin and honor Jesus as the king of your life. And if you want to do that and you don't know how, I'm going to be up here in just a little bit and I'd love to talk to you how to do that. Or maybe your life, like my life, here's, my story is I was so radically against the church. When I was in high school, I hated going to church. The people there weren't like me. The people there didn't respect me. I had all these reasons built up in my head that, that I don't need to go there. I don't fit in there. There's nothing for me there. But God took a hold of me and showed me the radical beauty of the stories and the lives of people in that church. And though we may not agree on in a, what we would do in a voting booth or what we would do on a, on a weeknight or whatever, right? But we could all agree that Jesus 
is Lord. And I had this reshaping. The Lord opened my eyes to the beauty of the church. So if that's you, perhaps what you need to do is just stand and worship God and thank him for this new kind of community that you have. So we're going to sing a song. Whatever you need to do, I want you to remember that you have been called to a people. Jesus has redeemed a people, and it is your home. So come home and be with your family. Let's pray. Father, you are so generous and gracious to us that you would not just create a way to be unified to you, but God, that through the work of your son, we have unified work that unites us together. We cannot live our lives alone. God, we cannot live outside of community. You have made us beautifully that way. And we're thankful that you did not just leave us to wallow in the brokenness and the mud and the sin of the world and said, figure it out. But God, you said, I've redeemed you to myself and here's your people. Here's your new nation, your royal priesthood. We are all a part of that if we are in Christ. God, I pray that if there is anyone in this room who has been hurt by the church, by words, by actions, God, that you would come to them and you would comfort them and tell them that is not your design. That is not your intention, that that person was working on behalf of the enemy, the person that hurt them. They were not working to honor and to glorify your son. And God, for those that you have graciously redeemed through the faithful work of the church, I pray that you would just give them joy, that God, they could worship and thank you for all the good work that you continue to do through your people. God, there are many opinions, many experiences that are different with your people, but we know that this is true, that those who are in your body have been redeemed by your son's perfect blood and that one day we will all gather around your throne and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, thank you for Jesus, for his work, for becoming the cornerstone of the church. God, will we honor him with our life, our words, our deeds, our thoughts this week. In his name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing, respond in any way you need? I'll be down here. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to introduce you. Let's sing.